Hello everyone, Alex here. I just want to include a quick note before we get into the spooky fun. I have been doing six pack of facts for almost exactly a year. I'd have to go back to the calendar and check, but it has been almost exactly a year and it has been extremely fun to put together these episodes and to share all this really, really cool information with you all. To anyone listening right now, thank you so much. It means a ton. That said, this next stretch of episodes Our four episode spooky suite and two more after that will be the last episodes of Six Pack Effects for a while. I'm going to be redirecting some of my creative energy to a new project, one that I hope you will hear eventually. It won't be soon, but I hope you hear it eventually. You will hear it eventually. I'm I'm saying it now. I'm drawing the line in the sand and I can't wait until that day. But to make that happen, I'm going to have to put Six Pack Effects on ice. Does this mean Six Pack Effects is done? I sure hope not. I don't think so. I would love to bring it back in some form after this next creative project is complete, but it won't be for a while. So again, thank you so much for listening. It'll be 52 episodes of Six Pack Effects, a full year's worth of episodes. I'm super proud of it. I hope you've enjoyed it. It will be back. All right. With that said, let's get into some spooky stuff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of our spooky stretch of Six Pack of Facts. This week, we're taking a look at the process of mummification and the potential curse it holds within. It's time for Mummies and the Mummy's Curse. We'll start with the mummies that everyone knows best, Egyptian. But the first Egyptian mummies weren't the wrapped kind you probably just thought of. Instead, the first Egyptian mummies were created by natural means. Egypt's arid climate did all the work. Bodies buried in shallow graves in the sand were pretty well preserved. But around 4,600 years ago, Egyptians started intentionally mummifying the dead. There were many different periods of mummification and varying degrees of quality within each, but we'll be focusing on the process used between the 18th and 20th dynasties of the New Kingdom. From beginning to end, mummification during this time took 70 days. Priests, knowing both the rituals and prayers associated with the dead and possessing a great knowledge of human anatomy, were tasked with embalming and wrapping the body. First, Out came the internal organs that were at risk of decay. Then, like every gross-out interested sixth grader knows, the brain was removed by inserting hooks up through the nose. More organs were removed in the abdomen and chest, although the heart was left in because it was thought to carry a person's being and intelligence. Organs such as the liver and lungs were put in jars and buried alongside the mummy. Then, it was drying time. The priests covered the body in natron, a naturally occurring type of salt, and filled it with natron packs. After all moisture was gone, sunken parts of the body were puffed up with linen and false eyes were added. Next, wrapping. Each mummy required hundreds of yards of linen, with precise care being taken. Sometimes, individual fingers and toes were wrapped. 
At different stages of the process, a resin was applied to the body before going back at it with a linen. Prayer amulets were often placed in with the wrappings, and priests wrote magical words on the linen to make the afterlife worry-free for the body. Egyptian mummies are without a doubt the most well-known type of mummy, but that doesn't mean they were the first to experiment with the mummification process. Around 2,000 years before Egyptians began mummifying their dead, the Chinchuro people of South America were crafting mummies that are still amazingly well-preserved. Chinchuro mummification differed significantly from the Egyptian method. First, preparers removed the skin of a body and carefully removed all the muscles and internal organs. No jars here. That stuff was tossed aside. Then, they would pack the body with plants, clay, and wood to, you know, restore some of that healthy glow you lose when all your organs and muscles are sliced off. Then, the skin was sewn back on and a mask was placed over the face. Pretty gnarly process, right? but it's one that has served the bodies well for a long, long time. However, nothing gold can stay. Thanks to an increasingly humid climate in the northern regions of the Chinchurro's old stomping grounds, microorganisms are making the mummies melt into a black goo. Good for horror enthusiasts, bad for historical preservation. The Chinchuro people and Egyptians developed some very effective methods of mummification. But good old Mother Nature can also mummify a damn good mummy too. For this section, I'll quote the opening of a great article from The Atlantic, which is linked in the show notes. Sometime around 60 AD, a man was led into a marsh outside Cheshire, England, to be killed. He was in his mid-twenties, stood about 5 feet 7 inches tall, and had a trimmed beard, mustache, and brown hair. Except for an armband made out of fox fur, he was naked. It's likely that he was accompanied and restrained by two or more individuals. The details of his death make for grisly reading. First, he received a blow from a blunt object to the top of his head, probably while he was seated, which fractured his skull. Then, a cord was thrown around his neck, While he was being throttled, his throat was cut. Combined with the pressure from the noose, this would have caused a geyser of blood to erupt from the wound. Finally, he received a sharp kick to the small of his back, propelling him face first into the waters of the bog, where, nearly 2,000 years later, he was found by workers digging for peat in the Lindau Moss. Brutal, but truly amazing. Look up a picture of the Lindau man, and while it is a bit ghoulish, the preservation is incredible. Stubble on his chin is still visible. Bogs have a wonderful chemical makeup that makes them perfect for preserving some good old-fashioned corpses. They contain very little oxygen, helping them prevent bacterial growth. But the real secret sauce comes from a plant named sphagnum. Sphagnum releases polysaccharides that shield against bacterial metabolisms. This cocktail keeps organic material such as wood, fur, textiles, and, oh yeah, human flesh from decaying. Thanks, Bugs. Peanut butter and jelly, peanut butter and chocolate, peanut butter and marshmallow. Man, peanut butter goes amazingly with a lot of stuff. Great combos are hard to deny. And what pairs better with a mummy 
than a mummy's curse. February of 1923, Howard Carter and a band of explorers, who could also be more aptly called grave robbers, opened an Egyptian tomb and unearthed one of the most infamous historical finds in history, the tomb of King Tutankhamun. By April, the expedition's sponsor, George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert, 5th Earl of Carnivon, was dead. Revenge of the Mummy's Curse! Right? Not really. In fact, only six of the 26 people on location when the tomb was opened died within a decade of that date, and the rest lived into their 70s on average. Howard Carter, the actual guy who opened the tomb and a prime candidate for some curse-related shenanigans, lived until 1939. So, not much of a mummy's curse. But that didn't stop the sensationalism surrounding the tomb and its supposed curse from getting the best of a lot of imaginations. A big player in that frenzy during the time of Tut's tomb being uncovered was the media. Only one newspaper was promised the story of Tut's tomb. So, when news broke of the find and subsequent death of its sponsor, other newspapers ran with it, calling the whole thing cursed to drum up some buzz for their own publications. But the concept of a mummy's curse actually stretches back decades before that infamous discovery. For the origin of the Mummy's Curse, some point to 19th century London stage shows that featured strange strip teases of real Egyptian mummies. The mummies would be unwrapped live at the show, prompting a group of writers to create tales of ancient revenge. Even Louisa May Alcott got in on the curse fun. She penned a relatively obscure story called Lost in a Pyramid, or The Mummy's Curse. More research by Egyptologists uncovered American fiction stories written in the 1860s in which male explorers strip female mummies of their jewels only to suffer horrific deaths because of their actions. These stories, written by women, are thought to be allegories for the misdeeds of men, namely, rape. It's also important to note that some early non-pyramid Egyptian tombs did have inscriptions of curses thought to be left to scare off potential grave robbers. These often threaten divine punishments from the gods, or death by crocodiles, scorpions, lions, or snakes. Over the years, some researchers have proposed an ancient organic cause to explain the mummy's curse, in the form of bacteria or mold. Maybe a particularly deadly strain of bacteria had grown over thousands of years and finally had the chance to unleash upon the poor souls who cracked open the tomb. Sounds dramatic, but most scientists don't believe it to be true. Studies have shown some ancient mummies have carried molds, including Aspergillus niger and Aspergillus flavus, two molds that can cause bleeding in the lungs. And while that does sound pretty curse-like, it's unlikely the molds had anything to do with the deaths of explorers or any curse. In fact, researchers say that Howard Carter and company would have been better off in Tut's tomb than on the surface at the time. Upper Egypt in the 1920s wasn't super sanitary, 
and the relatively untouched biome of the tomb probably would have been preferable. And there you have it. The sometimes grisly but absolutely fascinating process of mummification and the totally fictional but very interesting and very fun concept of a mummy's curse. I feel like it's important to note here that there's a lot more interesting stuff going on culturally behind these two topics than just all the sensationalism. So please dig into them if you're interested in learning more. This concludes the first episode of our spooky stretch of Six Pack of Facts. I hope you come back next week because is it just me or is the moon almost full? Until next week, my name is Alex, and as always, stay thirsty. Can't get enough of these refreshing facts? There are three easy ways you can help support the show. If you're listening through Apple Podcasts, leave a quick review. Then, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. Then, share the show with a friend. The more, the factier. Stay thirsty.